Hello everybody and welcome to Facebook Ads Agency Builders. We are a powerhouse community of entrepreneurs seizing the opportunity of the rapidly advancing digital marketing industry and bringing some of the best minds in the business together to have massive impact for our clients. Over the past five years, Tyler Narducci has been building and scaling his own digital agency, helping businesses grow and market their services and products through online advertising. Now, he's helping other startup digital agencies launch and scale rapidly to six figures with the Done For You Agency program. If you are interested in taking your agency to the next level and skip all those painful mistakes most have to make by learning directly from those killing it in the digital agency space, then apply now at sobeviral.com slash agency dash build. That's sobeviral.com slash agency dash build. There will be a clickable link in the podcast show notes as well as in the about section of the Facebook group. Now, let's dive into today's episode. podcast. Today I have Jason Howe. He's coming to us all the way from Singapore, staying up late with me, which is super, super awesome. Uh, Jason is a powerhouse marketer that has produced $20 million in revenue for his clients. He served as an enterprise consultant to Hootsuite's most valuable enterprise customers. He's a self-proclaimed math nerd who started his journey by writing technical articles about Facebook, which eventually led him to run social media ads for customers. Today, Jason Howe is an entrepreneur and agency owner of Agency J, a vertically integrated agency helping course creators and high ticket coaches grow and scale their businesses to multiple six figures. Thank you so much for joining me, Jason. Thank you for having me here, Tyler. All right. So we're just going to dive right in. And today we're going to be talking about remote teams and building your team remote. I think it's a huge, super important topic, especially for agency owners in 2021. Um, you know, I have, I've always had a completely remote team. I've never had anyone local. Um, I just feel like I'd be limiting myself so much. And I also just like, uh, I feel like the talent pool, like there's just so many things with building a remote team. Uh, and I think it's kind of like the way people are heading. So I wanted to have you on here. I wanted to go ahead and talk out the whole remote team systems processes. We'll start with, you know, a simple one. Why would you build uh, a remote team? Yeah, I think it's really what you touched on earlier, having a, access to a global talent pool. Uh, that's basically modeling what a lot of the big companies do. Um, a lot of big companies outsource manufacturing to China, to Vietnam, and then they outsource some of the designs to a certain region where they can access you know, a critical size of that, that sort of talent. And when you hire a remote team, it allows you to do that at a, at a smaller scale, but at a scale that is actually very manageable. For example, for us, we market a lot to English-speaking countries. And because of that, we actually hire copywriters that live in Canada, United States, and Australia. And that allows us to be able to tap on those talents and write easily and be able to cater those, to those markets. But we are also able to find design talents in the Philippines, for example. There's a whole bunch of them in the Philippines that have great design skills. If you find them, they can deliver such good quality creatives 
at cost that math that is just a fraction of what you would pay in America or even here in Singapore. Um, and they would produce similar quality designs. And if you're not really looking for like people designing large brand creatives for like Nike, you're looking for like ad creatives they can churn out at speed for like Facebook. So yeah. um, really, I think the primary reason is 100% a balance between cost and access to the global talent pool. Yeah, uh, huge. I mean, I think back to when like most businesses didn't do that. And I think COVID has really dramatically shifted a lot of business owners thinking into remote work. I mean, I know like just here in America, like almost all of our uh, work that was possibly, you know, could have been done remote went remote last year. And then now we're experiencing this whole thing where like no one wants to go back to the office and like, why would you want to go back to the office? Like, I don't blame them at all for, for fighting that. And uh, I think what COVID did was it helped that bosses and managers like realize that while they were stuck in their old ways of thinking yeah. like, oh, wow, like this role can be done remotely uh, and we still get the same amount of work, if not better work product. Because when you give your employees the autonomy to do their job the way they do it, when they do it, whether it's 11 p.m. or 11 a.m. or whatever, exactly. then you get a better work product because exactly. your employees employees are power, are empowered. Like it's, it's just a win all around. Um, Speaking about agencies, what are three key hires you should make in your agency uh, and in what order? Yeah, so I think the in terms of the roles that you need to hire, I think the very key ones are definitely the client success manager, um, the copywriter, as well as the media manager. Um, in terms of sequence, it really depends on what your zone of genius is as the founder or as the founders, because you would, let's say, for example, if you're great at handling customer or client relationships, you could probably handle the, you know, the client success manager part of it first and hire a copywriter and media manager to take care of the ads. But of course, it comes down to, is your agency managing ads only or are you guys also writing copy, producing designs and things like that? So the roles may vary. But I would say that these are the three key roles. For the client success manager, what they do is they ensure that all information flows between you, your team, and the client um, happens without any hiccups. Um, and what this does, it actually gives the clients a great experience when they know that they are able to get access to you at any time that they want to. And if they were to send you a message, they will be acknowledged and worked on within 24 hours. That gives them a sense of assurance, knowing that they are working with a partner and not just um, you know, paying for an agency that basically manages them like one of a, you know, like one of the little pawns. Um, uh -huh. So client success management role has been, you know, it's a it's a very valuable role for us. We hire great people from Philippines as well just to handle that because a lot of the work is administrative, but they do it so well. So that's the first thing. Second thing is copywriter. And we have found, we have tested hiring copywriters who basically um, have grown up or, you know, lived in different areas. They have even learned from some of the top copywriters. But I find that it's just so much easier to find good copywriters that don't create problems with the clients um, in the native countries like United States, Canada, Australia. I've just found way better talents. Um, and when I try to hire outside of these countries, I usually run into issues, whether it is with the language or whether it's with the expression. Yeah. A lot of people tend to downplay 
the importance of expression. Um, and as an agency, you need someone who is skilled enough to cater and to write in ways that would help or to work with five or 10 different clients. So having that skill set is really important. Um, the third one is media management, which basically just buying ads. And for these people, you want them to be to have a strong systematic kind of thinking. Um, generally, I hired, I built my media management team in Malaysia, which is just really close by to where I am. And I find people with a very strong um, root or grounding either in math or in engineering. So these are the two key kind of a core skill sets or education that I look at. And typically uh, with this skill set, they are able to reason and think logically. They can analyze the data and be able to decide, okay, what needs to be done next. I find that media management is a very systematic role that could one day actually be uh, automated fully but I think that uh, if you want to hire anyone, you really want to find someone who can think logically so that you don't have to do most of the thinking. So I would yeah. say those are the three key roles. Do you look for people who are proficient in math and engineering for your ads team? Uh, so for my, for, for, for my ads team, uh, so it's either they must have a displayed um, or demonstrated a history of, you know, kind of like logical thinking skills or analytical skills in their previous yeah. job or you know, they, they have studied math or engineering or even business is fine, but I would like to see that they have tackled stats and they actually love the subject. Yeah, yeah. I've always just like steered into uh, people that have already had experience with ads specifically because I find that teaching ads is like, can be really time consuming. It can be really cost-effective because you can get someone that's like super affordable, I guess with, with less experience and then you teach them and those would be the core skills that you'd want for sure but i'm just I usually like i'm like what are you doing now in terms of ads how closely does it relate to what we're going to do in ads uh and what type of results have you gotten because especially with facebook like there's i mean oh, that they're banning things left and right it, like it always constantly changes i also yeah. totally agree with what you were talking about on the uh the community or the account management side with uh, the client success manager, like making your customers or your clients feel like you're their marketing partner. We actually we talked about this last night on our coaching call um, with the done for you agency. And like, it is so important that you make your clients feel like not a number and that you feel that they feel like you're their marketing partner, like literally a part of their company. Exactly. Um, and how you touched exactly on how to do that too. And it is all comes down to communication, quick, right. efficient, clear communication. How we right. do that um, in Sobe Viral, my agency is with Slack channels. We found yeah. that if you let things just kind of go through emails, then emails get lost, forgotten. They, you know, they just sending an email, you just expect a reply like in a day or so. Like you don't expect an instant reply. When you do get an instant reply back on email, it's like, whoa. They do, yeah. they usually write back. Like most people have like inboxes that are just like flooded or whatever. So just giving them like a dedicated Slack channel with like a direct line to the client success manager has been just like a total win for us. And I've always recommended that to all the agencies I work with. Like there's never been an agency that was hurt by more communication. Exactly, exactly. Like, I would say that that is one of our like our top three um, features of our offers that clients actually find most attractive and I've actually won many contracts because of um, our ability to talk about like how we communicate and work with clients and they like that we have the kind of support and they're like 
you mean agencies actually do this? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a dedicated Slack channel with like DMs that are flying day, like day in and day out. Right. And like, I even go as far as to, and I'm not recommending this to everyone listening. I mean, you do what you, you know, you do what's comfortable for you and your own boundaries and everything. But like, obviously like my team, they're not expected to work on weekends or anything like that. But as the agency owner, like when I see things going on in Slack from the client side, that may be like a fire on weekends, I'm in there and I'm putting out the fires on behalf of them because that's just like that extra mile that, that, you know, we go for our clients and it, it makes a huge difference in exactly. your, your client's happiness and, and, you know, the retention rate. Exactly. Um, so how do you attract the right candidates for your team? Even when yeah. you may not have, you know, top dollar to pay for, uh, for this talent. Yeah, I, I think maybe just let me answer one more thing um, because I think you brought up a really good point about hiring talents and you said you usually hire people who are experienced first and I think that's a great advice as well. So you, you can go two ways. Uh, number one, for me, for example, I, I was at Stream. Um, so for me, when it comes to teaching, I've always crystallized things in a very simple form. I have a standard process that I can teach people. So it's relatively easy for me to teach. Um, and I kind of enjoy the process as well. But of course, if you find your zone of genius is in doing something else, I would say 100% go and hire someone who has um, kind of have more experience. I would yeah. also add that one advantage of hiring someone from scratch and actually teaching them is that there is ten, there tends to be a stronger kind of like loyalty with that team member that you bring on because they are come on they come on to your team less as a mercenary and more of someone who has gained a lot and they owe a lot to the company. Less ego result, too. Less ego too, exactly. Then, and we would tell them like yeah. If you tell them that this is the way to do it, like they would just take it up and do it and try it. They will not question you or they will not yeah. be like, this is what I've done. It this is how it works. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there, there are definitely two sides of the coin. Um, we do hire copywriters that I don't need to train. So that's definitely a, like an example of like hiring someone who is experienced because yeah. I don't want to be teaching copy. It's crazy just how much training is to go into it. But for managing ads, I think someone can get up to speed to like 80% of where you need them to be in like six to eight weeks. So yeah. that is a kind of like a time period that I feel like is considered an investment if this person is going to stay with us for like two years or more. I think um, another hack that could be, and I've done this, is the first hire that you make, like yeah. the first ads manager with good experience can jump in yeah. quick, learn systems processes and go. Then the second one can have a lot less and you can lean on that first one to then teach that second one for you exactly. about what your agency does, how they do it, and kind of oversee that role. It's kind of like a hack to bring in without having to spend a lot of your time training, uh, having exactly. your, your first, in, first in line train them. Exactly. So to answer your, your, your question about hiring people without having a top dollar is to really appeal to the, the, the desires of the person. Um, so... For us, we have a very strong employer brain, or we like to think of it that way, that we have a story that we spin on our, or we talk about on our on our website. And it's all about empowering people. It's all about changing people's lives through education. And it's all about partnering with the people who are really delivering life-changing programs and helping them to grow their impact as well. And that really attracts the right kind of people. We attract people who want to, number one, give back to society, 
So I have uh, a copywriter who came to us and she joined us and took a pay cut. And she was like, she's not even concerned with it at all because she was like, um, like she basically told us that, I mean, she based on her experience, she has actually um, built a number of e-commerce companies and sold them to successfully with, with her husband. Uh, so she said yeah, that- Yeah, Yeah, this is a copywriter. Um, uh, so she writes- copy. Sorry? Versatility. She yeah, goes from scaling e-commerce stores to copywriting. She's like yeah. super talented. She, she, she's always done the marketing side of things for, for the e-commerce stores as well. So uh, when we brought her on, like the only reason why she said that she wants to work with us was because she wanted to give back. She wanted to, you know, work with a team. She wanted to be able to teach the younger generation, like how to, you know, market better. So that was one of the key things we found. Now with younger people, what we find that um, is, I would say even the whole idea of just making a positive impact, but of course that itself is very generic. So you got to make it believable, right? From a marketing point of view, everything is about making it believable. So for us, we crystallized over a number of years, what kind of impact we want to make and why we want to make that impact. So we, we have that kind of a vision that we share with um, our team members, even before they join us. We have it written on our, all of our job descriptions. Uh, we, we share with them what our goals are. And when they join us, they know that this is why they sign up. I have come across so many candidates that have applied for our roles. And when I asked them, what other companies have you applied for? They said, this is the only company that I actually applied for because um, yours was the only job description that I really resonated with. And they are the sort of people who only apply for one company at a time. So we don't get the impact? people who just... What are the sorry? impacts that you're, yeah, you're making that you're selling to these um, candidates? So for us, um, it comes from my personal story as someone uh, whose life has been changed due to uh, the education system here in Singapore. And we want to see, or uh, we know, uh, based on my several years of experience so far working with different clients, we have seen how education has actually impacted and changed the lives of thousands of other people as well. So what we are trying to do is to partner and find these education providers who are great and bring their products to more people to change more lives. And that's how we actually measure our success. We actually measure our success based on three things. Number one, um, so the basic stuff, the business stuff, which is what is the net revenue after ad spend that we add to every single client? Number two, how many students do we enroll? And number three, we are actually collecting interviews of all these customers who have gone through our Facebook ads and became a client and three or six months down the road, how their lives have changed. So we're doing it in those ways so that we can, you know, do it's kind of more internal employer branding more than external at this point. Yeah, but we actually have bought a domain called lifeschanged.co and we're going to flood that website with all of the testimonials of all of our customers whose lives have changed because of our Facebook ads. So wow. that is really just the entry point. That's amazing. I, I love it. And that you were very serious when you said making your uh, impact believable because of course it's believable because it's tangible. You're measuring right. it all along the way. Uh, and, exactly. and I love, and I love, especially love the follow-up. You said going back three or six months later to yeah. that. That's awesome. Love that. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that you uh, commonly talk about is a vertically integrated versus a media buying focused agency. So what is the difference between a vertically integrated and a media buying agency and how are their teams structured differently? Yeah, so very early on, we started off like a Facebook ads agency, just like I think a lot of agencies today. Uh, we're single focus on one channel, maybe Facebook and Instagram, if you count that as two. And 
we do nothing else. We basically have, you know, just run traffic, we take on clients, we, we, we drive more traffic and so on and so forth. And what happens is we often also come across clients who need help with their offers, funnels, emails, uh, or you basically would, would, you know, just focus on being a media buying agency. That's how most agencies grow into the seven figure phase of seven, seven or eight figure phase. And what we realized then was we could either be a media buying agency and learn all the different upcoming channels, TikTok, Snapchat, Pinterest, so on and so forth. Or we could go deep, you know, and really, you know, overcome some of these frustrations that we have. Because when you work with a business owner who is not primarily a marketer, who doesn't understand how to tweak offers or funnels, you are stuck with a bad offer. You often end up just losing the client. Yeah. What we find is, and therefore we kind of like ended up deciding, let's be a vertically integrated agency. Let's just not focus on the front end with just the um, traffic only. Let's also build up our own skills in designing and building and testing funnels offers as well as writing emails. And we found that to be like the minimum viable package for most business owners. So we decided to tell all of our clients, you know what, we're only going to do Facebook and Instagram. If you want to do Google, YouTube, hire another agency, or if you just want to do like a small kind of test, sure, we can do for you, but you have to meet our requirements. We require you to spend at least $50,000 a month with us on Facebook ads profitably before we start exploring things like YouTube and Google for you. So we kind of do that as an add-on um, for them, but that's not a huge focus at this point because right now we want to bring all of our clients to a point where they're getting two, $3 million a year on Facebook ads alone and make sure their funnels are all dialed in before we go and venture into you know, various other traffic sources. Um, so I would say that the key differences is really how much of control do you want over the outcome that you're delivering to, or you're actually promising the client? And as a pure media buying agency, we find that to be um, a very... Um, kind of like very difficult thing for you to solve. Um, however, I like if you want to just work with big brands or work with brands that have their offers and everything figured out, by all means, become a media buying agency and that's how you can quickly grow into seven, eight figures as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think it's, uh, it's really smart the way you've named them, like how vertically integrated versus just the media buying. I, I completely agree. If you don't go the vertically integrated route and you just do ads, then you're gonna, like you said, you're gonna run into walls nonstop because your ads need creative. Your ads need copy. Your ads need a landing page to send the traffic to. Uh, and if you're doing that, right? Like I, I can't even tell you how many times a lead would come to us looking for Facebook ads and they either don't have a website or the website is garbage. And so, we have to also be a website agency too. Otherwise yeah. we're sending them to somewhere else before we can start doing our jobs. So by focusing only and purely on media buying, I think you're, you're just limiting yourself like dramatically in the, in the ad space, even with doing what you want to do. Like your, exactly. your ads are not going to be as successful running them for an, a, a partner with a bad website because ultimately exactly. people are smart. They see an ad and they, they do a research. Like they may click on the ad or whatever, but they may not buy. And in between you know, the prospecting ad and the retargeting ad where they buy that, where they buy the product, they may hop over to the website and look and see if this is company legit. Like what do they have reviews do they have? And if that's not there, if you didn't build that out for the client um, or send them to a successful partner, which you lost money on, if you sent them to a partner and you didn't do it yourself, um, yeah. then, you know, you're not only you're missing out on, on the revenue for your agency, but you're also handicapping yourself and what you can actually do for the, the client. So I totally agree. It's, it's really important to have all those things 
you know, able to provide them to your clients, you know, to make sure that they, they do get the results that you're looking for. Um, so I was going to ask you what, what model your agency was, but clearly, uh, we know which one that is now. Um, how do you build a culture? So we're talking remote teams here on this episode. I think one of the, one of the things that people would say that they, one of the reasons people would say they don't want a remote team would be, um, that it's harder to build a culture. Um, it's yeah. harder to build that camaraderie. Like people think agency, when they think an in-house agency, they see like the ping pong table and they yeah. see like, you know, the, the room where, with the open layout uh, plan and everyone's talking and you're building that like work family, which, you know, is like this thing you see on TV. How do you build that culture and that, you know, that closeness within your team when you're fully remote? Yeah, I, I think... There are many layers. I don't think we actually have a framework for it, but I would say for me at this point, it is very founder driven. Um, however, I would I would maybe share a couple of examples of how sure. we do it. Um, so first of all, we use an app called TeamFlow. This is not a sponsored review of TeamFlow, but it was a relatively new app that is kind of like a virtual headquarter. And it's like a Zoom, but like, it's an app that you log in. It looks like a game and everyone is just walking around in this office that you can design and you have different rooms, one for games, one for meetings, one for like eating and things like that. You could eat together and talk together and, and have all kinds of stuff. It's like a virtual reality office, basically. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cool. So um, we have that and I make it a point for all my team members to log in at the same time for at least an hour a day and just say that is our common communication hour. I don't care if you're going to do a meeting or you're going to just go on there to eat lunch together or you're going to go on there to play games. Like they have games like poker, um, draw something and all that kind of stuff that we, that we just play from time to time. And it's not just, expecting you know, this answer. This is so cool. I've never heard of this yeah. at all. That's yes. so awesome. Definitely and check it, it out. Is it working well? Sorry? Is it working well for your... It is. We have been using it for about four months now. So that has helped us tremendously. It has actually resolved uh, some of the communication issues we had previously. Um, so that has been really, really helpful. Um, I would say also uh, on a quarterly basis, I usually do surprises for the team. So I would send them sometimes care packages. Sometimes I send them like team sometimes I send him like a Uber or like uh, here we have Grab. So we send him like vouchers just to buy stuff for their family. And then they feel like the sense of like gratitude, but also like, hey, I'm being taken care of as well. Um, I also organize, uh, in, in fact, next month, we're going to have our first virtual escape room. So we try to do these activities. And at the end of every year, um, we either meet up and because now it's COVID, we can't meet up. So last year, I actually sent them on a family retreat. So I basically paid for hotels for their entire family to go enjoy. Um, we would likely do the same thing again this year because we can't bring everyone together. So I just said, um, even when we did our retreat previously, um, I even got my team members to fly their families in as well. Um, because I think like it's just part of like being an agency, it's just part of being a small family. So yeah. we do like regular meetings as well. Mondays, Fridays, Mondays we start talking about what we seek to achieve um, during the week Fridays we wrap up on what we you know kind of have gone through but even during those meetings we highlight um, any critical challenges to share uh, any things that we want to praise someone else for or any kind of like wins that we have kind of won during that week so really I think it's 
a lot about the little things that we do and quote, like even every half a year, I write a memo for my team as well to talk about directions, what I'm grateful for, you know, kind of thanking a couple of people and what, what my plans are for the next quarter, or even the next half a year. So it's really a couple of these different initiatives to think about. I guess for our agency, um, my, from my point of view, I put my team members first before my clients. Because I know if I take care of my team, they will take care of my clients. That's how I see it. So we are kind of customer-centric, but in a way that is indirectly, uh, because we take care of our employees first before we take care of the, the clients. I love that. That I want to put that on a shirt uh, or a frame. <laughs> that's, that's, that's so important. When, like, nothing makes me happier than when I, like, log into Slack and I see, because I have, like, the best team in the world. Absolutely adore them. They've all... Um, like a lot of my team members were my clients at one point um, nice. and through my my done for your agency program they i find that they make the best uh team members because they've been through my program so they've you know act their actual agency owners themselves they've gone through my program they know the services that we provide and, and how we communicate uh and so they're just like super set to step into uh nice. so they pay you to become your your to work for you uh, ultimately, I mean, yeah, I guess that's how it works out. But then obviously, you know, very quickly they're, they're paid, they're paid instead. Uh, but they're just like the absolute best and nothing makes me happier than when I log into Slack and like, I see them just like handling, you know, a client question or request with so much care and, and everything. And I think, yeah. you know, that's attributed to exactly what you're saying, like taking care of, you know, your team first and making them yeah. feel um, cause I, I just personally feel that like I'm someone who worked at a nine to five and then started my agency on the side and then broke out of that nine to five and grew my own thing. And when I was in the nine to five, I felt so unappreciated. I felt so trapped. Like I had to be in the office, even if I didn't have work to do, like they just had to see my butt in a seat. And it was just so like, ugh. but, um, you know, that autonomy and that freedom and that respect and, you know, those little things, like you said, that, uh, that give your team that empowerment and, and that dedication to the brand and the business, it flows right through them and to your clients, which yeah. what more could you want? That's, that's how you build a, a strong team and that's how you keep your clients happy as well. Um, that's a really good point. Like if, if, if I can add uh, like the top three reasons why people leave a job is not salary. Salary is not one of the top three. One, yeah. a bad boss. Two, they stop learning. Three, they're not appreciated. And yeah. a remote working culture allows you to tackle all these three things. Yeah, 100%. It's, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I, this, when I started my agency, the first thing I said was like, when I have employees, this is back before when I was doing everything, I was a freelancer, but I was like, when I do <laughs> grow up and I have employees, uh, I'm going to let them, you know, really own their roles and, and really come into, you know, like my, I start, I created our, our SOPs for, for the roles originally, but they've now a lot of them since changed. And, and like the person that's in that role has created the SOP and, and created the procedures and made the, their roles what they are. Right. And yeah. so when someone comes behind them, then they pass that on to them and, and it continues to grow because they are really owning that space and, and the work product, which is so good. Um, awesome. So moving into mindset a bit, because I think mindset is so important. I talk about it all the time uh, in my Done For Agency program. We actually have uh, today, actually Wednesdays is our mindset coaching call. We have a coaching call awesome. every 
every day. Mondays is uh, Mondays is sales. Tuesdays is uh, me with just general Q and A. Wednesdays is mindset. Thursdays is general Q and A again, and then Friday again is sales. But we put mindset like right in the middle on on Wednesday because everyone needs uh, a little mindset to help get uh, over the, <laughs> the week and, and kind of fuel you yeah. into that. And our mindset coach, Sammy, is just absolutely incredible. But I wanted to talk to you about mindset as well, because it's just something that is just so important across the whole agency space. Why do you think mindset training uh, is essential to the survivability uh, of an agency? Yeah, I, I think mindset is probably important for any business of any kind. I think yeah. like um, a lot of people, like all of us, step into an agency business world without prior business experience. Because if you have a prior business experience and you choose to set up an agency, you're a man. Um, but I think a lot of people start out with an agency as their first business. And because of that, we bring along a lot of employee type beliefs, like bad relationships with money. Yeah. bad relationships with ourselves, bad relationships with clients, and you bring that into a business and generally everything unfolds. Every single difficulty you meet in your process of setting up an agency generally has to do with your own belief systems. Like, I believe I should be paid 20K a month even before you start building up systems, clients, and all that kind of stuff. And that is what starts a lot of agency owners because they start the minute they start getting like 20k a month, they're like, oh, I'm going to hire people. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then they go through like a cycle where, why am I making less money building a team? And then they're like, oh, um, why is it that, you know, um, people can't work as hard as me or deliver the kind of results that I do? Like, why, why, why is it that? Like, I'd rather just do it all by myself. And you find that a lot of freelancers get stuck in that zone. Oh, um, because yeah. they, they believe that they are truly special and they're the only one who can deliver the kind of work. Um, and there is a lot of mindset around that as well. And there is a mindset around like um, taking on clients or pricing. Like one of the key ones that one of my students, I used to teach um, people how to build agencies as well back in 2017. And one of my students uh, asked me at a point in time, um, Jason, like I came across this client prospect today and um, he has an offer from the other agency as well. And um, I'm not confident enough to like charge him what I think I'm, I deserve. So how do you go about doing it? And that's a very common question that I'm sure you get even today as well. At so, least he's self-aware. At least he's yeah. self-aware enough to know that that was his issue, which is a, yes. step one. <laughs> step one, exactly. So I asked him, I asked him two questions. I asked him number one, um, do you believe that you can deliver results for him? And he said, yes, because I've worked with clients like this before. The product is similar, industry is similar. Great. Then I, I asked him a question number two. What happens if because of your fear and self-doubt, you decide to let him go and it goes with another agency and the, the other agency does a poorer piece of job than you would have? Would that make you feel guilty because you decided to give in to your own fear and not decide to take him on? because you were thinking from your point of view and not your client's best interest. And that was when he was like, hell yeah, okay. So yeah. he went on, he closed a deal. That deal, that client became one of his highest paying clients to date. And he's built an, even a bigger agency than I have. He's like 30 members in his team now. So it's like, it's huge, you know? So yeah, like a lot of it has to come down with, I would say not just mindset, but more or less like, how do you frame 
difficulties? How do you frame questions and how do you frame everything that comes along? How do you frame your experience? And I think having the right frame when you view it, all of these things is very key to your growth as an agency owner. When there's a problem and there's a fire, how do you frame it? If you frame it as, oh my God, here we go again. Or like, hey, is this a repeated problem or is this a, is it, is it a, a new problem? If it's a new problem, great learning opportunity. If it's a repeated problem, what fell apart this time? Was it a process that was not updated? Was it like our new team member who was not familiar with the process? What is it, right? You just go about solving it. And it's just, it just becomes like a five minute exercise where you just, hey, I'm going to put out this fire, that's fine. Um, but if you start looking at it as, oh, yet again, another fire, that takes away a lot of your energy that makes you emotionally exhausted and that essentially just breaks apart your day. So if you frame everything correctly throughout your day, throughout your week, every, every week would just basically feel like a breeze. I totally agree. It, and I absolutely, like, I want to just like re-say what you said at the beginning because that is so freaking important. A lot of agency owners lack the confidence to pitch what they should be pitching. And yeah. like what you brought it down to is exactly how it should be brought down. If you believe that you can 100% deliver for your clients, look at what delivery would mean, right? So is delivery getting taking their e-commerce store to 50K a month? Is it 100K yeah. a month? Like what, it, what is the goal? What are you actually delivering, right? Now look yeah. at your fee. What are you charging? Uh, I'm going to charge them a $5,000 setup fee and then $3,000 a month. Okay, great. So they're getting a three-month deal with you and your team and all the assets and everything that you're building, and they're going to get a $50,000 a month engine, and you're going to charge them only 11. Where absolutely you should have confidence. Like, yeah. of course you should have <laughs> confidence. They're buying $50,000 for $11,000. If you truly believe in yourself. Right. And so that's where it comes back to confidence and, and yeah. knowing having confidence in your team. Like, and I, that's why, you know, in my program, one of the, the key things that we do is we partner newer agency owners with top level contractors, right? So we don't expect these new agency owners to run the Facebook ads themselves. Like here, partner with this white labeler. They're pre-vetted. We've already, like, we see their work. They do really great and they have great low white label pricing. So you can partner with them and instantly have the confidence of their abilities, not yours, right? So go sell on the confidence that you have from your contractor because they're, yep. they're going to kick ass, right? Yeah. Um, and it's just like getting over that, that confidence hump. Cause we, we, I mean, like it said, we talked about this on our, on, on last night's call. Some guy said that he had, um, one of our clients said he, you know, had a lack of confidence because he just didn't have the experience in the case studies, uh, to back it up. And I said, you know, that's all solved with partnering with the right contractor. That's going to do the work. They'll have the case studies, they'll have the experience. Now look at the lead as someone that you're, you're trying to help, right? You're focused on the money that you're going to make instead of saving this client from the bad situation that they're actually in right now they're drowning and they could go with that other agency. Like you said, and that you don't have any control over that other agency, the other agency could be terrible uh, and, and it could hurt their business. So by you closing this deal, you're not getting away with something. You're not like, you're not sneaking one, you know, like you're, you're helping this client, you're saving them from the situation that they're in. It's like, oh, you said, it's all about framing. It's all about looking at, you know, it, it in a different way. I think when big people start getting on the phone and start selling, they automatically think like, by closing a deal, I'm getting away with something I shouldn't. And that it's, it's this weird thing we do to ourselves and it's, it's totally wrong. Like you're helping them get to where they want to do. And like I said, they're buying 
50k or 11k it's a great deal tell them how very good deal it is (laughs) um do do you i just want to stay on mindset for just a little bit longer um do you do any like mindset work like for me personally um i started um dabbling in mindset back in 2015 right when I was, you know, really trying, really losing my mind stuck in this nine to five and really wanting to break out and start my own agency. And I'm not even going to lie, like, <laughs> like a lot of people, I saw The Secret, the movie The Secret for the first time back then. And I learned about, you know, the law of attraction. I learned about meditating and everything. And I started meditating. Then I still meditate um, five days a week uh, and up until now. And it is honestly like transformed my life, like meditation, meditative practices and, and, uh, vision boards, like actually setting goals for myself and envisioning myself, achieving those goals, feeling that emotion on a daily basis has changed my life dramatically from in a space of a few years from, you know, getting paid like $35,000 a year in a crappy job to uh, a multi-seven-figure company. And I attribute all of that to mindset, um, which is why I love that we have it in this podcast episode. Um, Because I, at the time, I just didn't believe that that was something that I could achieve. I didn't have the confidence in myself that that was something that I could achieve. But I decided back then that I, I was going to do that. And I made a mindset shift and I started envisioning myself you know, owning that seven figure company. Uh, And it happened a lot faster than I ever thought it could happen. Yeah. So in terms of practices, um, I used to have them, I would say back in 2019 to 2020, I did them for over a year to a year and a half. Um, I stopped doing them. However, I would say meditation is really uh, useful. Um, but from day one, I've always had a plan, a goal, um, quarterly goals, and even daily plans. I have like top three wins, and like I, I have wins that I set out every day, that that I that I basically plan my schedule for tomorrow, for example. And I say right. these are my top three wins. If I only did these three things and not do all the rest, today is still a win. Mm-hmm. So I I basically track that still. So that's the main practice that I still do. Um, I actually stopped meditation for about half a year to about nine months uh, after COVID and all that kind of thing happened. Not sure why, um, but again, it was it was just one of those things to forget. But I recently restarted it because I realized uh, we are actually embarking on a new business venture um, as well. Uh, now my agency is legitimately taking me about we we I probably run a smaller agency operation than you do. We 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 do like high six figures right now a year. Uh, but our margins are good. We are making uh, decent profit margins um, that I would say are very healthy. And because of that, we, are, we want to divert that attention rather than scaling a human-heavy kind of a business, labor-intensive business. We wanted to go into e-commerce and start our own brand as well and really build a pathway, a career pathway for our existing agency team members who want to go on and join an e-commerce one later on. So they can have the option of saying, okay, I'm done with an agency, the fast pace. I want to work yeah. for a brand hey, if you've got an e-commerce firm, join us, you know. So I that's why we are looking at build. Yeah, so I would say on average, I'm working about three hours a day right now on my agency. And the rest of the time, I'm starting to explore this, you know, e-commerce idea. So um, yeah, I would say in terms of practices, 100%, if you're just starting out, everything you mentioned there, I, would, I have done them. I would say go and do it. Even if, even if you don't 
even if you don't imagine yourself doing it five years from now, at least do it because that period of time is going to transform your thinking entirely. And you would be approaching everything from a different perspective. So everything I talked about framing earlier, those were the things that I only started doing after I went through this entire process. And you have to do that. Like I figured out what pace I wanted to grow my agency at. Like my agency, I have no doubt that it will grow to more than seven figures because we are at this pace where we are onboarding clients whenever we want to. We are letting our team members decide whether they want to take on the client. And then we are letting them take on the client on board. And everyone has, everyone knows the minute the onboarding brief comes in, there is a two-week onboarding period. Everyone knows what they need to do. Everyone knows what ads to launch when they first take on a client. They know what kind of results, what kind of reporting to do, how to reach out and talk to the clients. Like we are very comfortable with the pace and everyone's just happy with it. So this is basically the place you wanted to grow at. Um, and we kind of figured out the game. At the end of the day, growing the agency is about adding people, adding clients, adding people, adding clients after you have built out all the processes and things like that. So And like keeping the wheels on the car. Because I learned exactly. that as you're scaling, like one of the things that no one tells you about like a rapidly growing business is yeah. what works here really, really well. As soon as you add another 100,000 a month in revenue, all of a sudden yeah. the wheels start falling off. And like exactly. your, your current systems and processes have to be overhauled. You have to get more people in. You have to train those people. Like there's a lot of, like, there's growing pains that you experience. Exactly. I've, I've exactly. Hit those, I've hit those, like they're like little mini glass walls and like you're scaling, you're scaling and then boom. Oh no, this part of our fulfillment just broke. Like we can't exactly. turn out that much. Right. And so you have to like f- quickly fix that. And like you're constantly like filling holes or whatever, but it's, uh, it's fun. It's like all part of the. It's like all part of the journey. One other exactly. one other mindset hack that I have before we move on past mindset is one thing that transforms uh, just my own mindset and the way that I feel each day as I, as I go and, you know, grow my business is gratitude. Like I have yeah. like a little note, like I, I don't know what you work from. I have a to-do list uh, yeah. and like I, I order it in order of importance. I look at it every single day and I, you know, go through uh, you know, my to-do list and knock off different items. Like you said, if I get these three things done today, then it's a success. I have those that same list where I, I work from that as well. But it, right next to my to-do list is my, you know, list of things to be just grateful for. And on there, I read it every single day and just stay in that place of like, yeah. you know, even if the business were to collapse today, I still have all of this. I'm super happy, super happy with this, super grateful. And just carrying that gratefulness into your business and happy where you're at and not always yeah. just needing to be somewhere else uh, propels you to that yeah. next place. It's like this exactly. hack. It's, it's amazing. Um, okay. So let's move quickly into uh, some specific agency hires. So when you're hiring media buyers, how do you get them up to speed quickly uh, if they don't have tons of experience? You said earlier that you look for people with you know math and engineering backgrounds um, but how do you, how do you, I guess, bring them from just, you know, square one to, you know, churning out great results in your house? We have an internal training um, that I've created uh, very early on when I trained my first media manager, I recorded all of the trainings and we I basically teach them the data analysis and part of it. And basically we teach them our 
what we call the three eyes framework. We go from information to and uh, to to insights to implementation, and, and teach them all the principles behind each of those. We have a mini framework for each of those steps. So I get everyone to go through the course, uh, and then it, it, at the end of that course, they actually have an assignment they have to do, and they follow and they repeat that assignment for about three to five days after they join us. Um, so once they go through that course, I get them to actually go through the Pashas um, BPM method course because it goes more in depth into the more Facebook blueprint kind of stuff, auctions. And I, then the course is so in depth that I just decided to just say, yeah. go through that course and you know, jump mean, on board. Exactly. Exactly. So we have we have actually worked with the patch as well and ran his ads too. So we actually told, uh, yeah, so after they, they do that, we basically get them started on an ad account. And we get them to apply everything they have learned by pretending to run the ads. So we get into shadow. So we don't get into shadow, like watch what people do. We actually get them to think independently. Pick one campaign and one ad set today. Break down to me what you would do. Write them out on a Google document, send it across to me or to one of the mini managers. We'll just look through everything, make sure everything is sound. And then we say, okay, tomorrow you're ready. You will go through... Um, like an actual management and we'll maybe hang out on a call for like a half an hour Q&A session. Walk me through how you would optimize this campaign. So we do that for about, I think after we do that kind of like, there would be around three to four weeks and they'll be up to speed usually. If you're not up to speed, there's usually a problem with the person. Yeah. Um, usually because they, they just don't get certain things. There are certain things that they're confused by, they didn't clarify, or they just didn't really take the initiative to study it. You know, clearly enough, they, they just maybe didn't prepare for it every single day. So those yeah. are more personnel fit issues that we need to tackle. But other than that, I would say most of them are on track. After that, it's just about building the confidence, letting them take on easier accounts, let them see that, hey, I can actually get results. Then you get them onto tougher accounts. Yeah, I love it. I think that's a that's a really cool track. And it sounds like you're using SOPs where you said you have you know them go through uh and you sound like you turn your sop into like a like you said a mini course like this I just, yeah we so we have what we call a pttq system uh so p the first p stands for process so we have everything written out in a step-by-step -step guide the first t stands for training which basically is our course so every single one of our processes has a video training that accompanies it because no one is going to read through an sop document yeah let's be honest well my uh, sops have looms in them yeah, that, that's fine. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's the training part of it. Then the third part of it is what we call templates. So every part of a process has templates that it can refer to as samples. And then the fourth part of it, Q stands for quizzes that really test for the foundational concepts that they have learned. So all of our all of our PTTQs are built up by, you know, like you said, you have your, your team members work on their own processes. Likewise, we have Project 90s where every quarter, uh, the team member in every role will work on a certain process for their own role. So our media buyers will work on the updating their media management frameworks. They'll work on updating maybe like some of their creative analysis or things like that they, they want to work on for that quarter and it improve the videos and improve the quizzes for, for that particular section. So yeah, we basically use the SOPs, but you know, we, we just um, structure it that way. It's fantastic. And your business works so much faster and better when you have the people that are in those roles creating the processes that make their job, their lives easier and the results better. Like it just, it works so much better. Um, when hiring a copywriter, what do you, uh, what exactly do you look for within a copywriter? Number one, I look out for flow. So uh, the problem with a lot of copywriters today is they are trained by these gurus who tell them that they can charge $10,000 a month in within three months of learning how to write copy. Yes, Terrible copywriting advice. is so hot right now. Yes. Yeah. 
terrible advice, but that's why you have to sift through a lot of the bullshit when you really are hiring copywriters. I find that a lot of people, number one, are attract, attracted to the idea of copywriting because they want to become a digital nomad, earn 10K a month by work, working two hours a day. Uh, and you end up having a lot of these time wasters, people who can't write to save their lives, trying to apply for a job. <laughs> yeah. um, but beyond that, beyond that, um, I really look out for flow. I look out for people who, when they apply for the job, um, I, I sense humility rather than um, ego. Anyone who has ego in a copy, right away, I will flag them out and remove them. Yeah. Um, number two, when they apply, they are very straightforward with their answers. Um, they can let me know exactly what it, what it is that they need. And I scan through all of the samples. What I do is I don't read their samples. I scan their samples. If I scan their samples and I am interested enough to slow down and read, that's a sign that there's a good copywriter. I find that a lot of copywriters overuse templates. They use things like practice. It is not your fault. Da, 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 da. It's like repeated over and over again. These are the same phrases I see nearly in every copy. And the sentences don't flow from one sentence to another. Because what they did, what they did was they took a template and tried to customize it. But what they failed to realize is when you do that, your sentence structures are broken and you actually need to wait for a day to come back to the copy, reread it for the actual flow if you were to work off a template. But if you're a skilled copywriter, you don't need all of that. You take an angle and you write it out based on your like, based on your current writing your, or your, your current kind of like uh, uh, style of writing. And I find that the best copywriters tend to have a lot of different kind of structures that they can fit their copy into. So they don't use templates, but they're able to talk about a certain angle in 10 different ways. They can express it in ten, with 10 different hooks, for example. So I really look out for flow as the number one thing. When I read the copy, do I want to slow down and read your copy or do I just scan? If I scan, you're gone. So on in general, I would say out of like 50 copywriters that I've gone through the samples of, I will usually find one or two of them who meet the kind of a standard. Uh, I find that with a lot of copywriters, they, their samples are, this is not great, you know, you look great. at it, you know. Find 50 copywriters to send you a samples. Yeah, I, I basically set up a, a application form and then I go to all the top job boards and I start putting my, my, my job description out there and say, if you're keen, you can apply. And I usually get a lot of applications from the card copy job board, the freelancer job board. I uh, also get a lot. There are a couple of different job boards really out yeah, there. I do. I get a lot of freelancer as well. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so you just give them a, a task to write this and then we'll judge no. that. No, no. We, we, I read their samples, first of all. The second thing that I, I, I do is I ask them, um, this might be a freelance gig at the start, but we are looking to hire full-time. Are you interested in joining the agency full-time? And I find that the best people, if they're not like super experienced already, they tend to be people who are trying to break into the industry, but they're currently working full-time in another job. So in other words, they're not looking to live the beach life, but they're more like the... I want to make a career switch. Writing is my passion and I want to write for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, and they make fantastic, fantastic candidates. Um, but yeah, generally I would say I work on a test project with them. I would not pay them to write a copy for nothing. I would actually get a real project and say, this is a client we need copy for. Can you write a copy for us? And we pay them like $50 for that copy. If it was an ad, if it's an email, maybe 50, 75, whatever that is. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. I love I love the detail in that process. Um, all right. Finally, uh, our last question is something I like to ask uh, all of the guests that are on this podcast. Um, sure. So most of the people that listen to this podcast are uh, agency owners somewhere in their journey, maybe just starting out or they may be well along. Uh, but we do always ask, what is your biggest piece of advice 
for a brand new agency owner who is just starting out? Yeah, I would say, and I've probably repeated this on several podcasts as well. I, I believe this is uh this applies generally to all businesses that you, you set up, regardless whether it's an agency or not. I would say the sequence in which you solve problems is very key. So make sure you solve the right problem first. Ask yourself, okay, there are like 10 problems ahead of me right now. Should I be starting a podcast? Should I be trying to write blog posts today? Or should I be trying to acquire new clients? Or should I be building up my skill set of delivering uh, uh, my results for clients? Or should I be finding the first contractor, understand how his workflow is, and know how to pitch to clients first? Really find out what is the first problem you need to solve, the second problem you need to solve. And of course, if you have no idea, that means you should not be doing any of this on your own. Find someone like you, Tyler, learn from you guys, know what the problem is to solve, and go ahead and solve it. I, I could not agree more. And I, I say that exact same thing. I just say it a little differently. I say, pull the levers that are actually going to move you forward, right? Yeah. Stop banging your head on the wall, doing all these like non-productive uh, things. Like, the, like I'm over here, I'm, I'm worried about 10 different editions of my logo that I don't know. I'm, I'm worried about my agency branding colors and our fonts and everything. And I'm like, get leads, like get leads in the door and start converting sales. Like start work, work your work on your offer, understand what you're going to be pitching, get your contractors in place and then get leads. And then once you're done with your leads bottleneck, it's going to move into a sales bottleneck and you're going to want to perfect that. Then once you've got leads flowing, you've got sales flowing, you have an agency, you're in profit. Right. And then like, you could worry about all those other little things down the line, but yeah, like just focus on the things that are actually going to move you forward in the order that they're going to move you forward and stop jumping the future or jumping over to the left. It's like shiny object syndrome is a huge thing in the entrepreneurial space. It's like every time they see an app or another software or tool or whatever, it's like all over again, but uh, very, very great advice. Jason Howell, thank you so much for joining me uh, on this hour of the FAAB podcast tons of uh tons of learnings and and golden nuggets in here uh that i am very excited to get this episode live awesome thank you so much tyler for your time i really appreciate you bringing me on